Uh, so I'm going to start out with an article that I, that I read actually late last night and this morning. And the article is titled, Mexican Cartel Apologizes in Letter for Kidnapping Murder of Americans Turns in Members Responsible. And uh, the article goes on to say that recently some Americans, you probably saw this in the news, uh, some Americans traveled to Mexico and they were then kidnapped. A couple of them were killed. And this obviously didn't sit well with Americans. And so there's a little bit of a, of a um, just a, a, a momentum going up, coming up for just finding out what happened and catching the people responsible. And so the cartel I read uh, gathered the men responsible for this and handed them over. By the way, the picture you see there is them alive. They were tied up. Their heads were covered, and they were handed over alive. And then on, near them, on the car, I believe, was a letter written to whoever saying that they apologized for, catching, or for, for murdering and kidnapping the Americans and something else like that. Sorry, I'll never do it again, so, so to speak here. And so these Mexican cartels had principles. They had principles. That they'll murder their own, but when it comes to Americans, they don't mess with the Americans, apparently. Well, we're in the little tiny book of Philemon, and we've been working our way through this book. And Philemon, as I've said the past two weeks, is the owner of a runaway slave named Onesimus. And uh, Onesimus stole something and then disappeared. He eventually ended up running into Paul, most likely in Ephesus, and he became a Christian through Paul's witness. And now this runaway slave with a changed life is returning back to his owner, Philemon, uh, over in in the uh, Colossians area, in Colossae. And so Paul, in this letter, is writing to Philemon, who is a fellow brother of Christ and is a close friend. And as we're going to see, Paul is this time is going to ask Philemon to treat Onesimus kindly as a brother in Christ and not as a slave as he was when he ran away. And I'm going to just admit, we've as a church, as Americans, have likely never dealt with this particular type of conflict before where one of our friends has a runaway slave. And and I would say that's a good thing that we haven't dealt with this type of conflict. However, all of us encounter times where we have issues with fellow Christians, issues with other believers, issues with our spouse, disagreements. And maybe both sides are right, but we just can't reconcile. And so when we do this, when this takes place, what do we do? What do we do? And and so the, the past couple of weeks... We've been looking at principles that we can pull out from this little book and learn how we can deal with conflict with others, when when we deal, how to deal when we have conflict with our spouse and with other people. And so two weeks ago, we saw that, that we need to remember who people are in Jesus Christ. That's principle one, that there is a new identity for people in Jesus Christ. And then second, Last week we saw, and this is principle two, that we need to be looking up to God in prayer, but also praying for those around us and for those that are involved in the conflict and in the situation. And today we're going to finish this tiny letter 
looking at one more important principle that comes out. And what we're going to be looking at today is really the, the main body of the letter. And this is our final week in Philemon. And so the, the, what the principle is, principle number three is that we're going to find here is that we need to remember the gospel principle. Now you may say, what is the gospel principle? You might ask, because I'm going to admit that I came up with that name, or, or maybe I read it somewhere and then came up with the name. So, so this is not a name that, that Paul has put in the book. But what we're going to see today is Paul living out the gospel principle. And so, the name here is not important. So whether you remember gospel principle or not is not the important part. What's important is what the name represents and how we need to live that out on a day-to-day basis. And so to begin, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to work our way through the passage pretty quickly. And then after that, I'm going to start talking about how each part of the passage points to the gospel principle. And so let's begin now uh, looking at verse 8. Paul writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner and also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, Philemon, For my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. We're going to stop there for a moment. Now, Paul is saying here that he has the authority to basically just tell Philemon, accept him as a brother in Christ. I told you. Now do it. Because Paul at this point is one of the most influential Christians of of that time. He helped plant many of the churches there. He led Philemon to Christ. He certainly had the authority to tell Philemon that you need to do this. But instead, Paul takes a different approach here. Instead of ordering him, he asks him nicely. Kids that are still in here, asking nicely. See, parents were right all along. Now, why would Paul do this, though? If he has the authority, why would he go this route? And and I believe it, it goes back to what we talked about in week one. In week one, that even though Paul is, so to speak, the top dog, at least in that area, he, he treated fellow Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. He treated them as how God sees them. And God sees people who are part of his family, who come and put their faith in Jesus Christ. He sees them as his children. And so Paul didn't come in ordering them around. Paul came in and said, hey, fellow brother, I appeal to you. Please go this route instead. Now, there were certainly times where you see in Paul's letters where he takes the more authoritative approach, particularly when sin is involved and other times. So he doesn't go this route every single time. But when he's dealing with with other people here, he goes this route and he treats fellow Christians as, well, as fellow Christians. And so let's go on now to verse 11. In verse 11, Paul writes, "Formerly, Formerly, he was useless to you, talking about Onesimus, but now 
he is indeed useful to you and to me. So this is one of those times where it would be good to know the original language that Paul wrote this in, which is Koine Greek. And that's because the, the word Onesimus, his name means useful. So what's, what Paul's doing here is, is sort of like a play on words. He's saying uh, Onesimus, Mr. Useful, was not so useful before. But now Mr. Useful is useful in Christ. Now, Onesimus hadn't changed physically. Onesimus hadn't gotten bigger or stronger like we see in the Rocky movies where he goes away and when he gets ready to fight, he's even more muscular. No, the only thing that had changed was that he had disappeared and then found Christ and Christ had changed him on the inside. And then as he's returning, he's not more muscular, he's not smarter, he's not better, but he's now a follower of Christ. And that right there changes everything. He went from useless to useful. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Let's go on to verse 12. Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very own heart. I would, be, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he, he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, did you catch that last part? Paul said that perhaps the reason that Onesimus disappeared, ran away, was so that one day he would return as a new person in Christ. So Paul here is suggesting that God used Philemon's pain by losing someone and by losing money or whatever was stolen, by losing that and causing that pain on Philemon, God used that situation to then transform someone's life. Paul then also is suggesting that God used Onesimus' wrong here and turned it into a right turned it into a changed life. And what I'm getting at here is that Paul was trusting in the providence of God. Paul was trusting that God could work in any situation and that he will even work in situations that are not ideal. That God will turn bad situations into good situations if only there was a verse about that, right? Romans, Romans 8. Paul continues in the last part here that we're going to look at, starting in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would me receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owe you, owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand because he, uh, he, he someone would transcribe it most of the time. 
I will repay it to say nothing of you, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul wraps wraps up this section, and, and after that, it's just a few greetings and a goodbye. Paul wraps up by basically saying, Philemon, as a brother in Christ, I am now asking you to treat Onesimus as a fellow brother in Christ. And then he says, interestingly, Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything, if he has stolen anything from you, which, by the way, he did, and if he has taken anything from you, charge it to me. I will pay it because I want Philemon to come to you with a clean slate. I don't want him to owe you anything. I will pay it back for him. So treat him as a brother in Christ. Now, now this, has, this is a profound picture of something else that we're going to look at in just a moment. But now I want to sort of stop. And you're probably wondering, all right, we, we've seen these verses. And there is no mention of what you call the gospel principle. And so, Kyle, what are you talking about here? And so let's remember, first of all, what the word gospel means. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the word came from when soldiers would go and sort of fight back to take over the, the city that had been lost. And there was a, it was a big area. And so they would then, once they won, send out messengers to let these towns know that they had been taken back, that they had been recovered, that they had been saved. So those messengers were proclaiming good news to the towns. And the good news of Jesus is that he came and he died for our sins and he conquered death by dying and raising again, showing that he was God and showing that he has the power over death. And in this process now, there are so many good implications for us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are saved, that we are not only saved from hell, but we are now given a new life in Jesus Christ, that we're brought into his family and that the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us and guides us through life. And listen, church, if you truly understand what was going on before we were saved, that we were bound for hell, then this truly is good news. That this is good news. Now I've sort of lost my place here. Here we go. The gospel principle here then is seeing life through the power of the gospel. When you look out, when you interact with people, before you start acting on your own accord or in your own emotions, it's first processing things through the power of the gospel of what he has done in you and what he has done in others. And so let's get a little bit more specific from the verses that we just went over. So we first looked at verses 8 through 10. Paul asked Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Not because it was just a nice thing to do, but because it was the reality that now Onesimus, a slave, was now a brother in Christ. Through Jesus, we have this runaway slave who was now a brother, a a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, 
That is the gospel principle. The gospel principle means that followers of Jesus are part of his family. That they're part of his family. No matter where they come from, no matter what their background was, no matter how much they've messed up, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now part of his family. That is the gospel principle. In verse 11, Paul declares that Onesimus was useful because through Christ, Onesimus was now useful. Christ transformed a useless person into a person of value. Christ had brought value to Onesimus through his work on the cross. And so the gospel principle is valuing people the way that Christ values them, not the way that we might see them. Let me ask you, do you understand Do you understand the value that God puts on you, on each of you? That if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, do you understand how God values you? And you may feel like the most worthless person in the world. And you may feel like no one out there loves you or cares for you. That that there, there, there is nothing good in you. That you can do no good. But God does not see you that way. From his assessment, you are valuable. I was reading about someone who found this small bowl at a yard sale in Connecticut. And so the new owner paid $35 for a bowl. And I was thinking after I read that, I don't think I've paid more than about $5 for any bowl that we own. $35 for a used bowl. But apparently, the one who bought it put that value on it and was willing to pay $35 for a bowl. Now, at the same time, someone who used to own it saw it and said, don't want it. So I'll just sell away. They, They put no value on it. They just wanted to get rid of it. Now fast forward to a little bit after they found this bull. And he bought it for an exorbitant amount of $35. And I read that the owner then saw some unique features in the bull. So he took it to some experts. And it was discovered that the random bull, the $35 bull, was a rare 15th century Chinese artifact. And so now this this $35 bull was no longer worth $35. It was now worth between $300,000 and $500,000. Bet he doesn't let his kids eat cereal on that, huh? (laughs) So just like God viewed Onesimus, each of you have value to him. Each of you matter to God. And again, you, you may think, that you're a broken old bull, but in, in reality, it doesn't matter what you think because God, the creator of the world, God, the one who created you, God, who is the true owner of all, he has decided that you are valuable. He has decided that you have value. And listen, that is the gospel principle. Let's go on now to verse 
12 through 16 that we looked at. Paul can confidently say in these verses that God can turn bad situations into good ones because not only has God done that time after time after time in the Old Testament and in the beginning parts of the New Testament as well, but he did it on the cross where in the very worst situation Christ crucified, he turned it into the very best situation by rising from the dead and making a way for all to be saved. So even more... Through Jesus, any one situation can be changed. Let me say that again. Through Jesus, anyone's bad, difficult, hard situation can be turned into good. Paul saw this in his own life where he went from a hypocritical theologian guy that approved of killing Christians to one of the greatest missionaries in the world, to one who wrote one of the, 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 mo- the largest portions of Scripture in and of itself. And, and he did this, and he saw this. And so, church, the gospel principle is recognizing that God works in all situations of ours, even the bad ones, even the bad ones. And I was just thinking of the implications of this. So let's narrow this idea into our own lives. Now, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you wish it hadn't happened? I won't even ask you to raise your hands because we all know. We all know this. We can all think of instances where we're like, wish that didn't happen. Wish I didn't do this. I really messed up here. Maybe you failed in a career. And maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe it was your fault. The career didn't work out. Maybe even it was a failed marriage. Maybe there's lost dreams where growing up you thought that you would be doing this, but life went a totally different direction. Maybe health challenges came in your life and and it has totally uh, turned you into the wrong direction and, and totally messed up your life. Maybe that man or woman that you thought you were in love with broke up with you and it didn't work out that way. Students, maybe you had this college that you just knew that you needed to be in and you didn't get accepted. So whatever the situation, and many, many others that I didn't talk about here, it changed the direction of your life. And so if that's you then the verses that we're reading here today should be an encouragement to you because God takes the unideal and he turns them into something better. God took Philemon and Onesimus and he turned it into something better, as we'll see. God took pain and sorrow and he turned it into something better like new life. And that is exactly what God can do in you. I remember when I was in college and I was interested in this young lady. And so one night in my dorm as a Christian college, so there's this chapel at the bottom of the dorm. And I went into the chapel and I began praying that God would change her heart. That she would like me. And I prayed And I prayed and I prayed. And then I went out just expecting God to do awesome things. Well, guess what happened? 
I got rejected. She was never interested in me. And so I graduated college as a single rejected man. And I go off into my career and single rejected Kyle from time to time just sort of felt sorry for himself because that young lady wasn't interested in now single rejected Kyle. But fast forward just a few years and single rejected Kyle is working in the hospital as a social worker and in walks one of my friends who says, Kyle, I want you to meet this new physical therapist named Caroline. And I shake her hand, and a year later, we're married. Now, when we got married, as we were driving away from the church, I didn't think this, but it would have been appropriate if I had. I would have thought, man, am I glad that God didn't work in that first situation, because I ended up with someone so much better. No offense, wherever you are, the girl who rejected me here. But I ended up with someone so much better. So God used that rejection. God used that disappointment there. And he just said, hold on, hold on. And he led me in a different direction that worked out better in the long run. The church, God can and God will work past your pain. God will bring something out of it even better. He is the God of turning lemons into lemonade. That is the gospel principle. Let's look at one more section that we looked at, verses 17 through 21, where Paul can take Onesimus' penalty on himself. Paul says that he will pay back to Philemon, whatever Onesimus took away. That he wants Onesimus to have a clean slate. And listen, that is exactly, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. The gospel principle is seeing our sins forgiven through Jesus dying on the cross. Now I came across this uh, old sermon preached in 1959, I believe in Texas, by a, a well-known pastor of that time named W.A. Criswell. And Criswell was preaching this book, this little book here, and he saw this pledge that Paul made to Onesimus or for Onesimus, and he saw how this is an amazing picture of what Jesus has done for us. And so near the end of the sermon, he, he, gives, uh, he sort of closes with some of these words that I want to read to you. And uh, so let me read about two paragraphs, and I'll just admit here that I changed some of the language. I took out the King James, and then I took out uh, some of the older language from the, I guess, the, I don't know, the 1950s or whatever, but I made it a little bit more understandable. So let me read what he says here. Onesimus must repay what he owes, but how? He doesn't have anything to pay with. He's a slave. He has nothing, and restitution has to be made. And how? Onesimus holds in his hand the letter. Accept him as you would me. 
And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Does that remind you of anything else? Does that remind you of you? Does that remind you of our Lord, our Savior, standing before God? We owe to God so many instances where we have fallen short. How would you repay God? How would you do it? Fallen short. Fallen short in a thousand ways. How would you repay? Lord, I have nothing with which to pay. My righteousness is a filthy rag. All of the goodness of my life is as a stained garment. And Jesus says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I will pay it. And we stand before the Lord and the Lord looks into your face and asks you, are you guilty? Have you ever sinned? Guilty. Did you do this wrong? Guilty. Do you owe this debt? Guilty. And our great Savior says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put the debts on my account. I will pay it. And that death of our Lord was a substitutionary death. It was for you. It was for us. He died in our stead. He took our place. He paid our debt. He washed us in his own blood. And now we have life and freedom and glory and forgiveness. All because he, Jesus, paid it all. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. And that's the gospel message that we preach. Living out the gospel principle begins with knowing what Jesus did in us and for us. It is treating other people as God sees them, not as we see them. It's seeing others for the way they are in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, just imagine how your conflict might be different. Just imagine how your interactions with fellow believers might be transformed. Imagine what our church would look like if we modeled the gospel message in our conflicts instead of our own anger or pride. Imagine how spouses might thrive if we treat them how Christ sees them and not how we, at that moment, see them. Imagine how we might see ourselves differently if we understand how Christ took our debt and paid for it with His own life. That is remembering and that is living out the gospel principle. Now I want to take a step back and as we conclude now, I want to admit that sadly we we don't know what happens next in the letter. So we get this letter and Paul says, treat him kindly. But then the Bible doesn't say what happens next. So we don't know what Philemon did with this information for certain. However, I do want to leave you with one little clue 
with how things ended. And tradition holds that Philemon took him back, welcomed him as a brother in Christ, and then actually sent him back, as Paul asked, and then sent him back to Paul to work with Paul and to help Paul out. Now, fast forward 50 years. Paul, at this point, long dead. He's been killed by, by the emperor. Philemon and his family that we studied have likely all been martyred at this point. And around 108 AD, there's a Christian leader named Ignatius. And he's being transported from uh, Antioch to Rome to be executed. So he would soon be uh, thrown to the wild beasts, most likely in, a, in the Colosseum. So here's Antioch, this church leader. And as he's being transported, knowing that his life is coming to an end, he's writing letters to different churches in a very similar style that, that Paul would write. And one of his letters that he wrote was to the churches in Ephesus. And in the letter that he sends to Ephesus, he sends them the, a greeting and, and uh, says a bunch of nice things. And then he begins talking about how the church in Ephesus is in, and, and, he, and he seeks to encourage them. And, and let me read now the, the next part of that letter. So th- this is not in Scripture, uh, but this is a historical document. You can just look up online and find it. It says, so this is Ignatius. He says, For in hearing that I came bound from Syria for the common hope and a name and hope, trusting through your prayers to be permitted to fight with beasts at Rome, that so by martyrdom I may indeed become the disciple of him who gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. You hastened to see me. I receive, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God, through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love, and that you would all seek to be like him, a blessed and blessed be he who is granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. Now, did you catch that? The bishop of Ephesus, where Paul was likely imprisoned many, many years prior, was a man named Onesimus. Now, we can't say for certain that it was the Onesimus we're talking about. But actually later in the letter, Ignatius uses that same wordplay on his name, meaning useful. So it certainly seems to me, though I can't guarantee it, it seems to me that the Onesimus in this letter is the very same one that was the runaway slave 50 and 60 years prior. And so this runaway thieving slave is transformed by the gospel, goes back to his owner, and is likely welcomed as a brother in Christ. And then many years later, he is now the leader of the church in Ephesus. He's not, though, just a leader. He's mentioned as a good, excellent, godly leader. And so God took this runaway slave and turned him into the leader of a church. Listen, that is the gospel principle. That's the gospel principle. Now let me ask you if God can transform a runaway slave going into a, returning to a perilous situation, what can he do in you? You may say, but I'm not good enough. And you may be right. 
But Jesus is good enough and he has put his righteousness on you. You may say, I've messed up too much and maybe you're right. But Jesus died on the cross and has atoned for your mess-ups. You may say, I have no talents, I have no gifts to offer. And listen, you may be right. But Jesus has taken his Holy Spirit and put the Holy Spirit in you. And he's not needing your talents. He has declared you of value. So whatever you were, whatever you currently are, is no match for Jesus Christ. And so as you walk out of here today, if you think more of your sin, then you've got it confused. If you think your sin is too hard, if you think it's too much, then you have a wrong view of what Jesus Christ did. He can and He will use you and your past according to His purposes. And he will do that both in times of conflict and disagreement. And he will do it every other time as well. That right there is the gospel principle.